We're starting a new series, if you can see it on the screen, called Christian Atheists. Now, just by hearing that title, some of you are probably really intrigued of what we're actually going to talk about. Some of you might be confused. Uh, others of you might be kind of terrified of what this series is actually about. Uh, but the title of the series, even though we're not going through this book necessarily, uh, there's this book that I read a few years ago called The Christian Atheist by Craig Groeschel. Uh, it's a book that I highly recommend you read. But in this book, he lays out what a Christian atheist is. And to sum it up, a Christian atheist is someone who believes in God, but lives like he doesn't exist. So they'll volunteer in church, they'll attend enough services and church events, and they'll have a Bible on their coffee table. They look and play the part, but they even call themselves Christians, but outside of the church context, they live like God isn't real. They live like God hasn't transformed anything in their life. And my prayer is that through this series, you'll be equipped and challenged to not fall into Christian atheism, but instead you would walk in life abundantly with God, bearing good fruit. So John chapter 15, starting in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You, have already, you are already clean because of the world, world I, word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither you can bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me... And I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. If you would pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity that, you get, that you've given us to worship you, to listen to your word, that you've spoken on my heart throughout this week. And Lord, I just pray that you would really speak to us in this moment, that you would open up our hearts to receive this message. And Lord, make my imperfect message perfect by speaking through me as you always do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So there's an illustration that I heard several years ago that's always stuck with me. And I'm, I'm going to kind of say it in my own words because this guy that was on stage was talking about himself. But there's a botanist who studied trees for a living. And he knew all the different kinds of trees. And he could just look at a tree even as it's just sprouting and tell what type of tree it was. And he invited his friend to his tree farm. And he was taking him around on... Uh, some type of like side-by-side side or something, taking them around and looks at all these different trees and he asks his friend, what tree do you think that is? Even though none of them were bearing fruit, it wasn't the season for it. And his friend would be like, well, I, I really don't know the wooden one. And his botanist friend would tell him, you know, it's this tree and this is why, because of these characteristics, because of how the leaves are formed, how, how the bark looks, the texture of the tree, all of those different physical characteristics. 
and this friend is, is driving through, he's riding through, and he's seeing all of these different types of trees, and he can't really tell any of them apart. And he admits to his botanist friend, he says, well, if I could just see the fruit, then I could tell you. If I could just see the fruit, then I could tell you what the tree is. For unbelievers, they can only tell the difference between Christian atheist and a true follower of Christ by the fruit that they see. It's important that you produce fruit, that the fruit of the Spirit, not only that you reflect Christ, but also that others may see the fruit of the Spirit within your daily walk. The fruit of the Spirit is not just for an hour on Sunday, it's for the other 167 hours out of your week. It's important not only for unbelievers to see, though. It's important for other believers to see. I saw a study that was done last year of why people were leaving the faith, why, why so many people were leaving the faith. If you paid attention to the news or any type of religious news, past few years, people have been leaving Christianity, and, and, and dozens and hundreds and thousands of people have left Christianity. And there is... Uh, a group that did a study, they just asked the question, why did you leave your faith? Why did you leave the church? And they got about 1,200 responses to this. And in the study, I'm going to tell you the two top reasons why people left, why people in the church left the church. One is the way that Christians treated the LGBTQ community. And two is the behavior of Christians did not line up with God's word. So if you claim to be Christian, a true follower of Christ, but you don't bear the fruit of the Spirit in a way that you present yourself and in the way that you interact with people, then I'm sorry to tell you you're a Christian atheist. You're calling yourself a follower of Christ, but you're not living it out. You, you believe in God, you do all of the church things, but you actually don't act like he exists. And because of all of these Christian atheists that are in our culture, it's causing people to leave their faith. Because they're looking at it, and I know if you're uh, any other type of Baptist, you'll say that I'm wrong on this point. But they're, they're leaving because they're like, well, well, this person is preaching that you're supposed to love, but they're not acting very loving. This person preaches and talks about in Christian circles about how you're supposed to act in a certain way as a Christian, but then when they're going out Monday through Saturday interacting with people, they're not acting like that at all. So it's causing people to think to themselves, maybe this actually isn't real. Maybe if, if we are really serving a God who loves us, if we're really serving a God who we believe is going to come back and save us all, then why are we acting this way? The fruit of the Spirit in your life is so important. But what is the fruit of the Spirit? Well, the fruit of the Spirit is all of the characteristics that make up a Christian. It's really what makes up the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ. But Him working in us, it becomes part of our characteristics as Christians. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23 says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Now, just real quick, because this is a pet peeve of mine. Notice that there's just one fruit. It's not multiple fruits. It's just one fruit, right? Just like with Revelation, 
we kind of add on an S because we see all of the different revelations that John received, but it's really just one. It's just one big revelation that he got. So it's not revelations, it's revelation. Same way with this. We tag on the S at the end. It's a really bad pet peeve of mine. It's one fruit. I know it, I know it kind of gets confusing because you're like, well, well, there's the fruit of love. And you've probably heard sermons called that. The fruit of love, the fruit of joy, the fruit, fruit of peace. So there's multiple fruits, there's, but it's just one fruit. The love, joy, and peace are the characteristics of that fruit. So to help you understand this a little bit more, I'm going to give you a little illustration. Think of a Granny Smith apple. All right, imagine that holding one. You can probably picture it in my hand. A Granny Smith apple is light, uh, light green, it's glossy, it's crisp, tart, acidic, and subtly sweet. Now, if I say the Granny Smith apple is tart, that's a characteristic of the Granny Smith apple. If I say that it's green, then it's a characteristic of the apple. It's not the apple itself, right? So this is how you can think of the fruit of the Spirit. Paul is writing this in Galatians, describing the characteristics that make up the fruit of the Spirit by saying love, joy, peace, and the rest of them. Without all of the characteristics, it's not the fruit of the Spirit. And this is the problem that we have as broken humans, that we like to pick and choose which ones we want with the different amount of people that we encounter. So like with some people, we'll be like, I'll be loving and joyful and peaceful with these people, but I don't know about self-control, right? They really just get on my nerves. I'll love them, but you know, I, I might kind of blow up on them at some times. Or we go to this person, we're like, I have a ton of self-control with my mouth, but I really don't love them. I, I really don't, they don't give me any peace, so I'm not uh, in a peaceful situation when I'm around them. But if you don't have all of the fruit of the Spirit, then it's not the fruit of the Spirit. And here's why. If someone handed you a red apple and said, this is the best Granny Smith apple you've ever tasted, would you believe them? No, because it's red. The most identifiable characteristic of the Granny Smith apple is that it's green. So if I hand you a red apple and say, this is the best Granny Smith apple you've ever tasted, you're not going to believe me. Why? Because one of the characteristics, it could have all of the other characteristics of a Granny Smith apple except for the color. But it's not a Granny Smith apple because it's not green. Right? You're going to think it's like a red delicious. Now, if someone handed you a green apple and said, this is the best Granny Smith apple, but it tasted like a Red Delicious, then you'd say, I don't know what kind of sorcery is happening with this, but that's not a Granny Smith apple. It looks like it on the outside, but on the inside, it tastes nothing like it. You either have all of the fruit, or you're not walking within the fruit of the Spirit. Now, the green color of the Granny Smith apple is probably the most identifiable trait, characteristic of that fruit. And that's why I think the first characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit is the most identifiable, and that's love. The reason that I think this is John 13, verse 35 says, by this, everyone will know, not some people, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Not if you have self-control towards one another, not if you have joy with each other, it's love. I think this is the most identifiable trait that we have in our walk. Now, here's the problem that we tend to have with love. Love is hard. It's, it's really hard to fully love people. Even the ones that we're 
ministry too. It's really hard to fully love people because our flesh desires hate and lust. Now, those are really strong words, and we don't like to think of it, but there's, there's a lot of hateful actions that we disguise as love, right? For instance, it's very hateful to not tell someone when they're doing something wrong. Just think about your kids for a second, right? I know I don't have kids, but I know like a little bit about how my parents disciplined me. If I went over to the hot stove, this is just a really easy uh, illustration. If I went over to the hot stove as a kid and put my hand on it, what would my mom or my dad do? They would take my hand away before I got to touch it because I'm, they're keeping me from harming myself because they love me. Now, I might interpret that as, well, they hate me because they don't want me to explore what is on top of the stove, but they're trying to protect me. But in our culture today, since love is so accepting and affirming, people are putting their hands over the stove and Christians are like, well, I don't really know if I'm supposed to tell them because maybe that's what God wants them to do. Maybe God really wants them to put their hand on the stove. Well, I'm just gonna stay out of it and that's hateful. It's hateful to be that way. Now, you can be gentle with it, and we'll talk about that when we get to gentleness and the fruit of the Spirit. There's a way to be loving and gentle and not loving and harsh and mean and hateful with your love. But there's, that's where hate is disguised as love. Love is really hard. It's difficult. And oftentimes, we forget that love has boundaries that also have gates. So we set up boundaries with love with other people, but we don't allow them gates to get in deeper. Or we set up so many boundaries that we don't let anyone in or we don't set up any boundaries at all so then people just run over us, right? Biblical love has boundaries within love. God even has boundaries in his love. Now, it sounds like God only loves certain people. No, he loves the whole world. But if God didn't have boundaries on his love, then everyone would go to heaven, whether they accepted or denied his son. But the boundary is that I will love you for your entire life and nothing will separate you from my love. But the boundary is that I'm not gonna let you into the gates of heaven until you accept my son, right? But we, we often blur the lines of what boundaries are healthy. Now, we're not gonna get into that in this message because this is really just laying the, found, or the foundation for everything else. But what does the Bible actually say about love? How can we, and how can we do better at living it out? Well, one, the Bible says that love is selfless. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one life, one's life for one's friends. That's John 15, 13. Jesus is talking about how he uh, will be the one who lays down his own life for the love of the world, the love that he has for the world, to give them away into heaven. But throughout the world, love is actually very conditional. It's very selfish and conditional, right? We'll continue to love if we are loved in return. We'll, we'll continue to love if they don't lose our trust. We'll continue to love them if they look and live their life just like we do. We'll continue to love as long as they continue to fulfill a need in our life. Our natural desire is for love to be transactional. Love needs to be earned in order to be given. Or it will stop being given 
if nothing is returned. This is how the world will define love. And this is how even in Christian circles, we, we treat love. We'll talk about love as it being, as it being con, uh, unconditional and unfailing and everlasting. But in practice, most of the time, because of our broken human uh, nature, we'll, we'll make love very transactional. Sometimes love is only given to test the waters of if the other person is actually worth our love. Right, we'll start giving love to someone, we'll, we'll start loving on someone, but if they don't give us anything in return after a while, then we'll withhold our love because we deem them not worthy of our love anymore. Here's an example. Have you ever opened the door for someone and they say thank you as they're walking in? Right, doesn't it feel good? It's so simple to just say, when someone opens the door. It's a small act of love and kindness, but it feels really good when, when it's appreciated, when it's received. Now, when you're, it's a very, very small thing, but when you open the door for someone, it's a small act of love, and when they say thank you, you're getting something back. Now, that might not be the purpose that you're opening the door for, but you get something back and makes you feel good. So then if you see someone else coming in right behind them, and they just walk right in, don't say anything, what do we do? Naturally. You just think you're entitled for me to open the door for you? I'm the same way. I, like, I'm not perfect in this. There's been times, I know everyone has experienced this. I, I walked up, like I, I've purposely, purposely walked a little bit faster so that I could open the door for whoever was coming behind me. And I'd open the door and they walk right in. I'm like, thank you. You're welcome. It's, it's good. It's fine, right? Because we're not receiving anything. And if we see them as we're walking out of the store and we're walking in front of them, I'll be honest, I'll throw myself under the bus. I'm kind of like in this frame of, yeah, I hope the door hits you on the way out. Make it close a little bit faster. Right? Because our love is imperfect. Because our love is often transactional. To the person that, that said, thank you, I'll open the door for them all day long. But I'll have a harder time loving on the person by opening the door if they don't say anything and if they don't give me anything in return. Another example, if that one didn't stick with you. Let's just say you're stuck in traffic because there's construction on the bridge, again, for the thousandth time. And you see the arrow, right, all the way down on the bridge. It's pointing that way. You have to get in this lane, right? We've all been there. And everyone starts moving over, and, and, and then there's that one guy. It's always just like one or two cars. It zooms past everyone, slows the whole thing down, right? Well... You, being a, a good, not jerk, you'll, you'll start signaling early. And doesn't it feel good when someone, like, lets you in? Like, they, they flash their lights, or, like, you see them wave, and then they, they finally let you in. It feels so good. You're like, oh, there is, there is hope for this world. Because all the people back there, they didn't let me in, but this one did. I'm, I, like, you just want to, like, roll down your window and say, thank you. But then another jerk comes all the way down and now you're in the front and he comes all the way down and he signals to get in front of you 
your natural reaction is to what? Stay as close to that car that's in front of you as possible so that they can't weave their way in or cut you off. Because our love is transactional. We had to wait in line, so we want them to wait in line. Why would we love on them when they're cutting in front of everyone else? Our love tends to be transactional. But biblical love is unconditional. Biblical love says, let them in. Right? Maybe they're in just some big hurry. Let them in. Puts up needs above my own. When Jesus lays down one, it says, I'll lay down one's life for one's friend. Jesus is talking about himself and how he put his desires under our desires. He, he put himself or our, he put us before himself and he died on the cross in place of you and me because of our sins. Biblical love always seeks to give first and not expect anything in return. That's what biblical love is. Galatians 5.14, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you like to receive love, Galatians 5.14 would say you gotta give it first. If you want that feeling of being loved and feeling loved, then you have to give it to other people and not expect to receive it first because you're, doing, you're treating others as you would like to be treated. Matthew 5, uh, 43 through 46, the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it was said, Jesus is saying this, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? We need to learn to love and not expect anything in return. To not love as a transaction, but love because it's just so, in, uh, so much dwelling inside of us that just pours right out. When he talks about the tax collectors doing this too, the world will always have this transactional type of love. But if we are also demonstrating this transactional love, then they're going to look at Christianity and say, well, what's the difference? Why does it matter if I love Christ or if I love myself? Because if love is still a transaction, then what's the difference? Why does it even matter that I'm a Christian or not? Because if I'm loving just like the other Christians are, but I'm not following Christ, and I don't believe in the, all the God stuff, why does it even matter? But if our love is unconditional, then our love will look different than the world's. We'll always be the one that, that says, you know, come on through. That, that watches the people walk by and not say anything, maybe even spit on our face for opening the door for them. But then when we see them come around, we're still opening the door. We're still right there, right on the front line saying, I don't care what you do to me, what you say to me, I'm still gonna love you anyways. Because if we truly believe that we should be loved and we feel deserving of God's love, then we also have to understand that we don't deserve his love. We have to understand that our sinfulness was us spitting on Jesus, saying, I don't want you. I don't want Jesus. I don't want God. I don't want any of this. I would rather live my own life, but God still loved you anyways. And we have to demonstrate that to the world, even though we may not want to, 
It may not be our natural desire, but we still need to love them unconditionally. Another thing that the Bible says is love drives out fear. 1 John 4, 18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. You know what I've seen frequently in churches? Uh, Like we've been to several churches. My dad and our family have been to several different churches. As far as who we were pastoring, we've visited a lot of churches. Like on vacation, we would even go to churches um, on Sunday morning. And uh, even if we knew no one else there, we were going to go to a physical church. You know what I frequently see in a lot of churches? On Sundays, people are always fine. They're always good. They're always blessed. They're always thankful. And everything is always going great. But Monday through Saturday, those same people are anxious. They're depressed. They're afraid. They're stressed out. They're worried. And life seems to be falling apart. Sundays were great. But Monday through Saturday, we're afraid. And what this tells me is that church has not been loving like it's supposed to. Church should be the safest place that people can come to on earth. To come with all of their problems, come with all of uh, their, their fears and worries and doubts, and, and they should be able to share their pain and their struggles and, and everything that's going on in their life and not be afraid of what's going to happen because they know that the church loves them that much. But somewhere along the line, church became a place where you had to be great or you'd be discouraged for not being thankful. That you'd be discouraged for for even thinking that this is something that should be wrong because people in Africa are, are going through all these things and people across the world, they're going through all these different things. So why are you complaining about this one small little insignificant issue? And even though it sounds good on the surface, because yes, there are people in other countries that are going through a lot worse than what we are, but what you're going through, you're the one that feels that hurt. And a true Christian love will say, well, well, come on, let, let's, let's talk about it. Let's work through it. It's okay to not be okay. And since it's okay to not be okay, we're going to embrace all of the hurt, and all the pain that you're going through right now until God restores you. Instead of what it has been is, you know, well, you know, I'll just pray about it. If someone's actually bold enough in those churches to actually say like, hey, this is a struggle of mine. I'm really hurting because of this. Well, just pray about it. I'll, I'll, I'll pray for it. Too. And then we shrug it off. We forget about it. If we're all being honest with ourselves, we shrug it off. We forget about it. We maybe pray a couple times, but the reality is, is that most of the time we're just kind of like, you know, we'll pray about it. Heavenly Father, I pray for that person, whatever they're going through, I already forgot. It's in Jesus' name, amen. These half-hearted prayers. And I'm telling you, on the receiving end of this, most of you have been on the receiving end of this. Do you feel loved? Knowing that sounds, well, you know, just pray about it. God will work it out. Or do you feel more loved when someone sits down and says, hey, I, I went through something similar. And I want to show you how I worked through it and how I, how I made it through this. And, 
And as I'm showing you, we're going to pray together. We're going to dive into God's word together. And we're going to really dive deep until God restores you. Until God redeems you. Until God heals you. We're going to be sitting down together. We don't see a lot of that in church because love is hard. It's a lot of giving and not a lot of receiving when you're in those type of relationships during those seasons. But imagine how different our world would be if we heard a need from someone new in this church or someone who's been going to this church for their entire life. And and instead of just saying, hey, you know, I'll pray about it and not follow up, to say, hey, let's find a time we're gonna pray about this together. One, we're going to pray about it right now, but we're going to pray about it later. And let's schedule a time so that we can start diving into God's word and see how God is going to perform miracles in your life and start investing and loving in a relationship. If a church is in a place that does this as its second nature, then church isn't perfected in love. If church is still demonstrating transactional love, as long as you give to this church, as long as you you financially support this church, as long as you volunteer in this church, then we'll love you. Or as long as you have the potential to serve in this church, then then we'll love you for a time. But if you've gone here for a couple years and you haven't served yet, then we're probably just going to forget about you because you're not benefiting this church at all. If church loves like that, then no wonder people are leaving because it's, not a, it's conditional love. But if we're the church that says, hey, we're gonna love you anyways, no matter what your lifestyle is, we may not agree with it and we're definitely not gonna affirm it, but we'll still accept you for who you are and we'll show you how you can find redemption through Christ, how you can find repentance through Christ, how you can find healing through Christ. And we as Christians, as we're being the church outside of this building, outside of Sunday, should be the safest place for people to come to us with their brokenness, with their wounds, with their scars, with their worries, with their fears, and with their anxieties. That you, bearing the good fruit of the Spirit, should be the safest place for your friends, for your family, and for just the stranger that you saw. You should be that safest place because if God is truly dwelling within you, then his love is going to outflow or pour out of you. And the last thing, love comes from God because God is love. First John chapter four, verses seven through eight says, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. You know what this means? Love doesn't come from me. And it's definitely, if it doesn't come from me, it's not defined by me. You'll you'll hear this a lot in our culture today. Love is love. I hate that phrase. I hate it so much. Love is not love. What that means is that we've made love our God. And since love is our God and we are our own gods, we can define love however we would like. But biblically speaking, love does not come from me. It does not originate in me. It comes from God because God is love. Love is not love. God is love. I'm not loving. I'm not loving. God is loving. And the spirit of God dwelling within me 
is expressing the love that you see. It's not me. It's all God. Because if I'm allowing the fruit of the Spirit to take a root in my life, then it's not me who's loving because the opposite of love is hate. And as children of darkness, the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit. If love originates, truth originates from God, then it's not my love that I'm giving out to people. It's God's love that's flowing in and through me and out of me to other people. But we cannot expect to fully love and be loved if we don't first have a relationship with Jesus based on love. Sometimes our relationship with God can be based on the fear of just going to hell because we're scared of messing up. We're scared of going to hell for doing something wrong or, or messing up. But that's not what God wants and that's not what God teaches. Your love of God and your love of Christ should not be based on the fear of if I mess up, then I might go to hell. No, it should be on love. I, I'm doing these things because I, I love God and his love is flowing in and through me and out of me. And if I mess up, God knows that I'm broken and he loves me anyways. Not that that's an excuse to continue in a sinful pattern, but God understands that you're broken. That's why we still need a savior. He wants us to love him. He wants us to know him. He wants us to build that trust and faith that he will take care of you no matter where you go. The Apostle Paul gives us the definition of love in his letter to the Corinthian church. We call it the love chapter in Christian circles, and we often hear it at weddings. But it's 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Verses four through eight, Paul gives this definition of love. He says, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails. I know I've preached this here before, um, but I'm going to preach it again just for a moment because I don't think all of you were here, so this might be new for you. But since God is love, what Paul is actually doing not telling us uh, so much about what love is, but the standard of love that we are to live by. But he's also giving the perfect characteristics of who God is. So if you actually replace the word love with God and it with he, you get this. God is patient. God is kind. He does not envy. He does not boast. He is not proud. He does not dishonor others. He's not self-seeking. He's not easily angered. He keeps no record of wrongs. God does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. He always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. God never fails. What this means for us is that the standard of love is too high for us to ever reach. Are you always patient? No. Are you always loving? No. Are you always kind? You always not jealous? Do you always not boast about things? No, none of us fit this standard. We're broken because of our sin. We're broken because of the rebellion that we had against God who loves us so deeply, but God knows that you're broken. 
and he still took your place on the cross that you deserved because of your sins. You know what we actually did when we sinned? We, we told God, we don't want your ways. We, we want our ways. We don't want your love. We want to define our own love. We, we don't want you to be our God. We want to be our own God. We want to rule over our own life. And God looked at us having every single right to give us exactly what we deserve and exactly what we ask for. But he said, you don't know what you're asking for. I love you anyways. I'm going to send my son. And Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. John, 1 John 4, 19 says, we love because he first loved us. This purely demonstrates that God's love is selfless because he always gives without expecting to receive. Think about how many people have lived on this planet that God loved and they didn't love him. But he still loved him, didn't he? We should be the same way. Without God, there would be no love. And the only reason that humanity, that you see love, some forms of love in the world is because we're created in his image and likeness. We have love because he is love and he created us to be loving beings. But we can never love fully so long as we are in sin. Our sins broke that love. Without God, any form of love that we see in the world is a broken version of a perfect love. But God restored that broken love through his son Jesus because of his love for us. So our love needs to start coming from God in our lives, not from us. I don't have the capacity to love as much as I do because all of my love is coming from God. And anything that's imperfect in my love, that's me. That's me coming out. That's my own definition of love coming out. But all of the perfect love that flows out of me, that is all God. Because I have the spirit dwelling within me. And I work on my love because I want to perfect my love. Uh, I work on my joy. I work on the other characteristics of the fruit of the spirit simply because I know I can't do it on my own and I still got to ask God. Our love as we define it, is not sustainable. But his love is everlasting. Our love is very conditional, but his love is con unconditional. Our love will fail, but his love is unfailing. If the love that we share looks like the rest of the world, then the love will be optional to the world. But if our love comes from God, and if it's the love of God that pours out of us, giving selflessly and driving out that fear, caring for people, investing in people, and expecting nothing in return, that love is going to be desired by the world because it will be like something that they don't see that often. Christians, we're, we're really good at loving transactionally, loving selfishly. We're, we're really good at Loving and having bounds of fear of if you do these things, then I'm going to punish you by taking away my love. That's disrespecting boundaries, by the way. Or we, we have fear of, you know, if, if I really say this in church, if I really open up about this problem in my life, then people are going to think that I don't have faith. They're going to think that I'm uh, uh, something about me, and it's going to ruin my reputation that I have in church of being the most faithful person in church. 
but love drives out that fear. You know what? Something that was uh, kind of cool. Uh, Chloe and I, we went to a marriage conference almost a year ago now. And in that marriage conference, they went through some, some trauma, uh, dealing with trauma as a couple. So it's going through your past to help move your marriage towards the future. That was the idea behind it. And as, as you saw people working through their past, their past traumas, people started opening up about what they had actually gone through and where they actually feared that people in the room would look down on them for what they'd done or what had been done to them. What actually happened was there was this moment where everyone was like, oh, I'm so sorry that you had to walk through that. But in that person's mind, they thought that they were going to hear, well, why would you ever think about doing that? Don't you know that God loves you? Why would you not just, just follow God? Why would you even fall into that? Why, why, why don't you just forgive that person? Right? Why is it so hard for you to forgive that person that, that sexually abused you? Why is it so hard for you to forgive that person that slandered your name? Why is it so hard for you to do this? But instead, all the couples there were like, I'm sorry that you had to go through that. How can we help? Love drives out that fear. And God is love. I'm going to close with this. I know I'm going a little bit long. Do you know why love is so important? Because it's the only thing that will remain in the end. Something that 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says, we talked about it on Wednesday night too. But it says, it's talking about where the prophecies, they'll cease, the tongues, they'll cease, all of these different things will cease, all the gifts of the Spirit will cease to happen. But love will always remain. It's because when we're, in, we're, when we're in the new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem, there won't be a need for healing because everyone's gonna be healed. So there doesn't need to be a gift of healing because everyone's already healed. Uh, for um, like the gift of tongues, the, the gift of tongues is all about proclaiming the gospel to new people in new languages. But if we're all speaking the same language of love in Christ, then we don't need that. Because the gospel doesn't need to be proclaimed anymore because the gospel has been confirmed. It's been completed. Right? The, the gift of prophecy. We don't have to predict when uh, and, and speak boldly the name of the Lord and predict all of these events because everything has already come to pass. But love, the main characteristic, will always remain. And within the fruit of the Spirit, you'll actually find that love is in all of them. So I, I, I wrote down just a few using 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and then the fruit of the Spirit. So we've got love. That one's obvious. Love is God, or God is love. But joy, love rejoices with the truth and always hopes. Peace, love always protects. Patience, love is patient. Love always perseveres. Kindness, love is kind. Goodness, love does not dishonor others and is not self-seeking. Faithfulness, love always trusts. Gentleness, love keeps no record of wrongs. Self-control, love is not easily angered. 
even though I didn't use all of what chapter 13 says. Love flows in and through every single part of the fruit of the Spirit. And I think that's why it's the most identifiable trait. It's, it's the greenness of the apple. It's what defines us as Christians. It's why they will know us because of our love. So church, the people in the world, the people that you see around here, they should know that you're a follower of Christ by your love.